Part one of two of chapter fifteen. Part one of two. Maria and Margaret. This recording is in the public domain. Please visit LibriVox.org for more information. Chapter fifteen of Deerbrook, by Harriet Martineau. Mister Hope's professional duties would not permit him to be long absent, even on such an occasion as his wedding journey. The young couple went only to Oxford, and were to return in a week. Margaret thought that this week never would be over. It was not only that she longed for rest in a home once more, and was eager to repose upon her new privilege of having a brother. She was also anxious about Hester, anxious to be convinced by the observation of the eye and the hearing of the ear that her sister was enjoying that peace of spirit which reason seemed to declare must be hers it would be difficult to determine how much margaret's attachment to her sister was deepened and strengthened by the incessant solitude she had felt for her ever since this attachment had grown out of the companionship of their childhood she could scarcely remember the time when she had not been in a state of either hope or fear for hester hoped that in some new circumstances she would be happy at last or dread lest these new circumstances should fail as all preceding influences had failed if hester had been less candid and less generous than she was her sister's affection might have been given way under the repeated trials and disappointments it had had to sustain and there were times when margaret's patience had given way and she had for a brief while wished and almost resolved that she could and would regard with indifference the state of mind of one who was not reasonable and who seemed incapable of being contented but such resolutions of indifference dissolved before her sister's next manifestations of generosity or appeals to the forgiveness of those about her margaret always ended by supposing herself the cause of the evil that she had been inconsiderate that she could not allow sufficiently for a sensitiveness greater than her own and above all that she was not fully worthy of such affection as hester's not sufficient for such a mind and heart she had looked forward with ardent expectation when she was happiest and with sickly dread when she was depressed to the event of hester's marriage as that which must decide whether she could be happy or whether her life was to be throughout the scene of conflict that its opening years had been hester's connexion was all that she could have desired and far beyond her utmost hopes this brother-in-law was one of a thousand one whom she was ready to consider a good angel sent to shed peace over her sister's life and during the months of her engagement she had kept anxiety at bay and resigned herself to the delights of gratitude and of sweet anticipations and to the satisfaction of feeling that her own responsibilities might be considered at an end she had delivered hester's happiness over into the charge of one who would cherish it better and more successfully than she had done and she could not but feel the relief of the freedom she had gained but neither could she repress her anxiety to know at the outset whether all was indeed as well as she had till now undoubtedly supposed that it would be margaret's attachment to her sister would have been in greater danger of being worn out but for the existence of a closer sympathy between them than any one but themselves and perhaps morris was aware of margaret had a strong suspicion that in hester's place her temper could have been exactly what hester's was in its least happy characteristics 
she had tendencies to jealousy and if not to morbid self-study and to dissatisfaction with present circumstances she was indebted for this she knew to her being occupied with her sister and yet more to the perpetual warning held up before her eyes this conviction generated no sense of superiority in margaret interfered with no degree with the reverence she entertained for hester a reverence rather enhanced than impaired by the tender compassion with which she regarded her mental conflicts and sufferings every moment of irritability in herself and she was consciousness of many alarmed and humbled her but at the same time enabled her better to make allowance for her sister and every harsh word and unreasonable mood of hester's by restoring her to her self-command and stimulating her magnanimity made her sensible that she owed much of her power over herself to that circumstance which kept the necessity of it perpetually before her mind for the same reason that men hate those whom they have injured margaret loved with unusual fervor the sister with whom she had to forbear for the same reason that the children even the affectionate children of tyrannical or lax parents love liberty and conscientiousness above all else margaret was in practice gentle long-suffering and forgetful of self for the same reason that the afflicted are looked upon by the pure-minded as sacred margaret regarded her sister with a reverence which preserved her patience from being spent and her attachment from wasting away the first letter from her brother and sister had been opened in great internal agitation all was well however it was certain that all was well for while hester said not one word about being happy she was full of thought for others she knew that margaret meant to take possession of the corner house to go home a few days before the arrival of the travellers in order to make all comfortable for them hester begged that she would take care to be well amused during these few days perhaps she might induce maria young to waive the ceremony of being first invited by the real housekeepers and to spend as much time as she could with her friend give my kind regards to maria said the letter and tell her i like to fancy you two passing a long evening by that fireside where we all hope we shall often have the pleasure of seeing her six months ago hester would not have spoken so freely and so kindly of maria she would not have so sanctioned margaret's intimacy with her all was right and margaret was happy maria came and thanks to the holiday spirit of a wedding week for a long day delicious are the pleasures of those who appetite for them is wedded by abstinence charming wholly charming was this day to maria spent in quiet free from the children free from the observation of other guests passed in all external luxury and in sister-like confidence with the friend to whom she had owed some of the best pleasures of the last year margaret was no less happy in indulging her and in opening much more of her heart to her than she could to any one else since hester married which now at the end of six days seemed a long time ago miss young came early that she might see the house and everything in it before dark and the days were now at their shortest she did not mind the fatigue of moting to the very top of the house she must see the view from the window of morris's attic yesterday's fall of snow had made the meadows one sheet of white and the river looked back and the woods somewhat frowning and dismal but those who knew the place so well could imagine what all this must be in summer and morris was assured that her room was the pleasantest in the house morris 
curtsied and smiled and did not say how cold and dreary a wide landscape appeared to her and how much better she should have liked to look out upon the street if only mr hope had happened to have been settled in birmingham she pointed out to maria how good miss hester had been in thinking about the furnishing of this attic she had taken the trouble to have the pictures of morris's father and mother which had always hung opposite her bed at birmingham bought hitler and fixed up in the same place the bed hangings had come too so that except for its being so much lighter and the prospect from the window so different it was almost like the same room she had slept in for three and twenty years before when maria looked at the pictures silhouettes taken from shadows on the wall with numerous little deformities and disproportions incident to that method of taking likenesses she appreciated hester's thoughtfulness though she fully agreed in what margaret said that if morris was willing to leave a place where she had lived so many years for the sake of remaining with hester and her it was the least they could do to make her feel as much at home as possible in her new abode margaret's own chamber was one of the prettiest rooms in the house with its light green paper its french bed and toilet at one end and the bookcase table and writing-desk footstool and armchair at the other i shall spend many hours alone here in the bright summer mornings said margaret here i shall write my letters and study and think and not over your books perhaps said maria these seem comfortable arrangements for an old or infirm person but i should be afraid they would send you to sleep you have had little experience of being alone do you know the strong tendency that solitary people have to napping margaret laughed she had never slept in the daytime in her life except in illness she could not conceive of it in the case of a young person full of occupation which a hundred things to think about and twenty books at a time that she wanted to read she thought that regular daily solitude must be the most delightful the most improving thing in the world she had always envied the privilege of people who could command solitude and now for the first time in her life she was going to enjoy it and try to profit by it you began yesterday i think said maria how did you like it it was no fair trial i felt restless at having the house in my charge and i was thinking of hester perpetually and then i did not know but that some of the greys might come in at any moment and besides i was so busy considering whether i was making the most of the precious hours that i really did next to nothing all day but you look sadly tired at night miss margaret said morris i never saw you more fit for bed after any party or ball maria smiled she knew something of the fatigues as well as the pleasures of solitude margaret smiled too but she said it would be quite another thing when the family were settled and when it should have become a habit to spend the morning hours alone and to this maria fully agreed morris thought that people's liking or not liking to be alone depended much on their having easy or irksome thoughts in their minds margaret answered gaily that in that case she was pretty sure of liking solitude she was made grave by a sigh and a shake of the head from morris morris what do you mean said margaret apprehensively why do you sigh and shake your head why should not i have easy thoughts as often as i sit in that chair we never know miss margaret my dear how things will turn out do you remember miss stevenson that married a gentleman her family all thought a great deal of and she turned out a swindler and 
The girls burst out a-laughing, and Maria assured Morris that she could never answer for no accident of that kind happening with regard to Mr. Hope. Morris laughed, too, and said she did not mean that, but only that she never saw anybody more confident of everything going right than Miss Stevenson and all her family, and within a month after the wedding they were in the deepest distress. That was what she meant. But there were many other ways of distressing happening. There is death, my dears, she said. Remember death, Miss Margaret. Indeed, Morris, I do, said Margaret. I never thought so much of death as I have done since Mr. Hope's accident, when I believed death was coming to make us all miserable, and the more I have since recoiled from it. The oftener has the thought come back. That is all right, my dear, all very natural. It does not seem unnatural to undertake any great new thing in life, without reminding oneself of the end that must come to all our doings. However, I trust my master and mistress, and you have many a happy year to live. I like those words, Morris. I like to hear you speak of your master and mistress. It has such a domestic sound. Does it not make one feel at home, Maria? Yes, Morris, there I shall sit, and feel so at ease so at home once more. But there may be other. Morris stopped and changed her mood. She stepped into the closet and opened the door to show Miss Young the provision of shelves and pegs, and pointed out the part of the room where she had hoped there would be a sofa. She should have liked that Miss Margaret should have had a sofa to lie down on when she pleased. It seemed to her the only thing wanting. Margaret gaily declared that nothing was wanting. She had never seen a room more entirely to her taste, though she had inhabited some that were grander. By the time the little breakfast-room had been dully visited, and it had been explained that the other small parlour must necessarily be kept for a waiting-room for Mr. Hope's patience, and the young ladies had returned to the drawing-room, Maria was in full flow of sympathy with the housekeeping interests and ideas which occupied her rather amused. Her companion, women do inevitably love housekeeping, unless educational or other impediments interfere with their natural tastes. Household management is to them the object of their talents, the subject of their interests, the vehicle of their hopes and fears, the medium through which their affections are manifested, and much of their benevolence gratified. If it be true, as has been said, that there is no good quality of a woman's heart, and mind which is not necessary to perfect housekeeping it follows that there is no power of the mind or affection of the heart which may not be gratified in the course of its discharge as margaret and her guest enjoyed their pheasant their table drawn close to the sofa and the fire that maria might be saved the trouble of moving their talk was of tradespeople of shopping at deerbrook and the market at birmingham of the kitchen and storeroom and the winter and summer arrangements of the table the footboy whom margaret was teaching to wait often forgot his function and stood still to listen and at last left the room deeply impressed with the wisdom of his instructor and her guest when the dinner and the wine were gone they sang they gossiped they quizzed the greys were sacred of course but many an antidote came out told honestly and with good nature of dear old miss enderby and her talent for being pleased of miss rowland's transactions abroad and at home all regulated by the principle of eclipsing the greys and of mrs hollowell's and miss miskin's fine sentiments and extraordinary pieces of news margaret produced some of her brother-in-law's outlines 
which she had picked up and preserved sketches of the children in the oldest attitudes of children of dr levitt resting his book on the end of his nose and he read in his study chair of mrs plumstead exasperated by the arrival of an illegible letter of almost every oddity in the place then out came the pencils and the girls supplied omissions they sketched mr hope himself listening to an old woman's theory of her own case they sketched each other mr enderby was almost the only person omitted altogether in conversation and on paper where can i have hidden my work-bag asked maria after tea you laid it beside you and i put it away said margaret i wanted to see whether you could spend a whole afternoon without the feel of your thimble you shall have it again now for you never once asked for it between dinner and tea i forgot it but now you must give it me i must finish my collar or i shall not dully honour your sister in my first call we could talk as well as working as idle cannot i help you our affairs are all in such dreadfully perfect order that i have not a stitch of work to do i see a hole in your glove let me mend it do and when you have done that there is the other two years hence how you will wonder that there ever was a time when you had not a stitch of work in the house wedding clothes last about two years and then they all wear out together i wish you joy of the work you will have to do then if nothing should come between you and it what should come between us and it said margaret struck by the tone in which maria spoke the last words are you following morris's lead are you going to say remember death miss margaret oh no but there are other things which happen sometimes besides death i beg your pardon margaret if i am impertinent how should you be impertinent you the most intimate friend but one that i have in the world you mean marriage of course that i may marry within these same two years any one may naturally say so i suppose to a girl whose sister is just married and in another person's case it would seem to me probable enough but i assure you maria i do not feel as if it was all likely that i should marry i quite believe you margaret i have no doubt you feel so and that you will feel so till but dear you may one day find yourself feeling very differently without a moment's warning and that day may happen within two years such things have been known if there was any one said margaret simply if i had never seen any one for whom i could fancy myself feeling as hester did if there was any one repeated maria looking up in some surprise my dear margaret do you mean to say there is no one yes i do i think so i know what you mean maria i understand your face and your voice but i do think it was very hard that one cannot enjoy a pleasant friendship with anybody without seeing the people on the watch for something more it is so very painful to have such ideas put into one's mind to spoil all one's intercourse to throw restraint over it to mix up selfishness with it it is so wrong to interfere between those who might and would be the most useful and delightful companions to each other without having a thought which need put constraint between them those who interfere have a great deal to answer for they do not know what mischief they may be doing what pain they may be giving while they are gossiping and making remarks to one another about what they know nothing at all about i have no patience with such meddling so i perceive indeed replied maria somewhat amused but not a syllable was spoken about any remarks any observations between any people or even about reference to any particular person 
I alone must be subject to all this displeasure, and even I did not throw out a single hint about any friend of yours. No, you did not. That is all very true, said Margaret, blushing. But neither was I vexed with you, at least not so much as with some others. I was hasty. You were indeed, said Maria, laughing. I never witnessed such an outburst from you before, and you shall not see such another. But I was answering less what you said than what I have reason to suppose is in the minds of several other people. In their minds? They have not told you their thoughts, then. And several other people, too. Why, Margaret, I really think it is not very reasonable in you to find fault with others for thinking something which they have not troubled you to listen to and which is so natural that it has struck several of them. Surely, Margaret, you must be a little, just a very little touchy upon the matter. Touchy? What should make me touchy? I what? I do assure you, Maria, nothing whatever has passed between that person and me which has anything more than the commonest. No, I will not say the commonest friendship, because I believe ours is a very warm and infinite friendship, but indeed it is nothing more you may be sure that, if it had been otherwise, I should not have said a word upon the whole matter, even to you, and I would not have allowed even you to speak ten words to me about it. Are you satisfied now? I am satisfied that you any what you think. Oh, Maria, what a sigh! If you have no objection, I should like to know the meaning of that sigh. I was thinking of the course of true love, but not that it never does run smooth. That is not true. Witness Hester's dear Margaret, be not presumptuous. Consider how early the days of that love are yet, and that love in their case has only just leaped out of the fountain, and can hardly be said to have begun its course. Well, may heaven smile on it, but tell me about that course of love which made you sigh as you did just now. What can I tell you about it, and yet you shall know, if you like, how it appears to me. Oh, tell me, I shall see whether you would have understood Hester's case. The first strange thing is that every woman approaches this crisis of her life, as unawares as if she were the first that ever loved. And yet all girls are brought up to think of marriage as almost the only event in life. Their minds are stuffed with thoughts of it, almost before they have had time to gain any other ideas, merely as means to ends low enough for their comprehension it is not marriage, wonderful, holy, mysterious marriage, that their minds are full of, but connection with somebody or something which will give them money and ease and station and independence of their parents. This has nothing to do with love. I was speaking of love, the grand influence of a woman's life, but whose name is a mere empty sound to her till it becomes suddenly, secretly, a voice which shakes her being to the very center, more awful, more tremendous, than the crack of doom. But why, why so tremendous? From the struggle which it calls upon her to endure, silently and alone, from the agony of the change of existence, which must be wrought without any eye perceiving it. Depend upon it, Margaret, there is nothing in death to compare with this change, and there can be nothing in entrance upon another state which can transcend the experience I speak of. Our powers can, but be taxed to the utmost, our being can be strained till not another effort can be made. This is all that we can conceive to happen in death, and it happens in love. With the additional burden of fearful secrecy, one may lie down and await death, with sympathy about one to the last, though the passage hence must be solitary, and it would be a small trouble if all the world looked on to see the parting of soul and body. 
but that other passage into a new state that other process of becoming a new creature must go on in the darkness of the spirit while the body is up and abroad and no one must know what is passing within the spirit's leap from heaven to hell must be made while the smile is on the lips and light for words are upon the tongue the struggles of shame the pangs of despair must be hidden in the depths and the prison-house every groan must be stifled before it is heard and as for tears they are a solace too gentle for the case the agony is too strong for tears end of chapter fifteen part one of two